Welcome to the Diverse Minds Podcast, where we give you the tips, tools, and techniques you need to be a mentally healthy and inclusive leader. Each week, you'll hear about a variety of topics linked to mental health, well-being, and diversity that will enhance both your professional practice and personal well-being. Welcome to the 176th episode of the award-winning Diverse Minds Podcast. And as it's January, I wanted to kick off with something that will lift your spirits and make you feel better. And I have got a real treat for you. We're going to be talking about diversity and inclusion in the public speaking world today. And to join me in doing this is Dan Ram. He is an igniter, a five times TEDx speaker, three times an entrepreneur, prolific event MC, moderator and public speaking coach. His clients range from individual founders to national governments. His eclectic background growing up in 11 countries on four continents, and do check out his TEDx talk that he did at Trinity College Dublin to find out more about that. His multi-continent education, including Yale University and Trinity College Dublin, and he's currently undertaking a PhD entrepreneurship in Aachen, as well as his work in diverse industries from the UN to consulting to private equity to startups, ensures that his clients are at the cutting edge of innovation. Dan Ram travels the globe as as an event MC and speaker at over 100 events a year, hosting change makers like President Barack Obama, billionaire founders Sir Richard Branson and Reid Hoffman, F1 champion Nico Rosberg, Grammy-winning artists and celebrities. He works on four continents from college campuses to parliaments to in-house corporate innovation days for Fortune 500 companies to the biggest tech conferences in the world. His passion is to inspire with his motto, start now, start simple in building a future we all want to live in. He grew up as the son of an Indian diplomat and lived on 10 countries in four continents and learned to build a sense of home wherever he went. After being broken, unemployed in a foreign land, he was able to build a life where he eventually managed a $500 million fund, advising national governments and emceeing at the top tech conferences in Europe. And he wants to share why diversity matters and how someone can turn an underestimated skill into a profession that can impact lives around the world. So Dan, a huge welcome to the show. Why? Thank you, Layla. Thanks for having me. Uh, yeah, really exciting. And uh, we've not met in real life, but obviously we've been communicating on LinkedIn and I've just read out your bio, but I think it'd be really lovely for listeners to hear a little bit more about what you're working on at the moment. I can answer that, but rather than what I do, I'm going to tell you why I do it. Every morning I wake up and I think, who can I serve? How can I serve? How can I be number two? I'm very particular about that number, number two, because I'm only in this position of being number two because so many people chose to make me number one, from teachers to mentors to advisors to community to parents to friends. So many people for most of my life encouraged me and pushed me forward to achieve amazing, amazing things from advising presidents and prime ministers to heading up major consulting companies to setting up my own businesses. And at the age of 29, Layla, when I had sold one of my businesses, I thought to myself, what do I do now? Having accomplished all my dreams, what do I do now? And that's the day I decided, you know what? I want to be number two. The same thing that everybody else was for me to achieve what I have achieved. Let me do that for others. And so I spend my day serving people, whether as a coach or as a consultant or as an advisor or as an investor or nowadays, predominantly what you'll see me is on stage emceeing and moderating some of the biggest tech conferences on four continents. I do 125 engagements a year, so roughly two to three speaking gigs per week. 
So that's a big list. And that's why I didn't want to start with that because you're like, what's the commonality between helping a fledgling founder and coaching a CEO and being honest? Well, because it's just number two. I just love serving people, elevating people and helping them achieve their dreams. Brilliant, Dan. And what was it about public speaking and uh, convening events and being an MC that really appealed to you? And how did you break into that market? I broke into the market because I was already at events. So as a founder and entrepreneur, I had to be at events to pitch my company, to find partners, to find sponsors, to find investors. So I already understood the beauty, the adrenaline rush, the madness of events. And uh, I love events. Do you attend uh, many live events, Layla? So that's a great question. I used to. And now since 2020, I've become very much uh, on an online person. I don't really go anywhere. And we've got a lot of rail strikes in the UK at the moment. So um, no, I haven't. I, I, don't, I used to. Yes, Dan, but not so much uh, anymore. So from the time that you used to do it, you know, the just the excitement of walking into an epic venue that is designed uh, intentionally to draw people in and all the booths and the stalls and things you can try out and the smell of food and fresh coffee and just the noise, the buzz, the roar of people wanting to meet and connect and get to know each other. And we have the inspiring talks. So I just love that energy. And I thought to myself this whole time, that 29 years of age, when I thought, all right, how do I serve people? I realized probably one of the easiest ways to serve people was to interview them on stage, to bring some of my well-known entrepreneur friends and give them a platform to share their stories so that others could be inspired and emulate and grow themselves. And to meet people through emceeing, what I did not realize is how it would take over my life because I honestly thought I would do maybe, I don't know, three or four a year. I mean, that seems like a good number, right? Why would you attend more than three events a year? Uh, like one a quarter, it seems just about enough. Uh, but it has been a roller coaster. And in the first year alone, I was aiming for three events, all for free, pro bono, just to do it for fun. And I ended up with something like 14 paid speaking engagements and maybe 10 voluntary. And then the next year, I went to like 80 paid engagements. So it really quadrupled. And then even during the pandemic, it kept growing. So I love, I love, 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 madly passionate, crazy about what I do as a moderate moderator and MC. I use both the terms, say the same thing. It's the guy who introduces an event, interviews people, engages an audience, fills in for all the tech failures that, you know, invariably happen and hopefully give people a really good time through music and dance and challenges and games and stuff. So that's what I do. And I love it. I just... I love when people's eyes open wide. I love when curiosity and intrigue take over an audience. I love when people sit down passively, but leave inspired with a skip in their step. I love the messages I get the same day or the next day with people saying, you know what? You sparked an ability to do something. You sparked a, a desire to change my life. You sparked a a little insight that I'm going to use to build a business. And I, I love the power of words to be able to start people on their journeys. That's brilliant. And we were talking earlier uh, before we started recording about um, the, the MC Compass space and how it is a predominantly white space. And, yeah. you know, how have you 
and this is a bit kind of an annoying term, but how have you broken into that? Because I think there is a perception of people of who should be fronting up an event. Mm. Um, and I, I know that you've clearly got the skills, you've got the passion, but it's still difficult to be seen in a white dominated industry. So how have you navigated that? So you got to flip it around and see less in the form of uh, color or gender or height or whatever it is um, that you think makes you marginalized and think more about how it adds, how it is possibly your superpower. So what I mean by that is I know that most speakers are white. So guess what events desperately need? They need diversity. And so I'm brown. I'm I'm like physically, visually brown. I know you can't see me on the podcast, but believe me, I am very brown and there's no hiding that. And so it's actually quite easy for me to go to an event and not that I would point it out, but I think even like if you Google me, I show my face everywhere because I want people to see the diversity. That said, I'm also going to be honest with your listeners and say that, and, and this is really unfortunate, but it's true. If I was, so I'm brown because I'm Indian. If I was Indian, I had an Indian accent. I highly doubt I'd be doing the speaking gigs I'm doing, which is a real shame because it's probably more English speakers who have an Indian accent in the world today than there are English speakers with a British accent or American accent, right? I mean, like, just think about the number of Indians who are speaking English around the world. So that really is a shame that, I don't know, because of Simpsons and because of movies that have chosen to make fun of the accent, people find it hilarious. But for sure, having the American accent has helped. But I just want to make it clear, I still have not and would never remove my brown skin. Um, even when makeup artists, and here's a little pet peeve, uh, the number of times I have gone backstage and Layla from your face, I can tell that this has happened to you too, or you've heard horror stories like this. You show up backstage and there's panic in the makeup artist's eyes because they've got color and foundation and makeup for white speakers, because what do they expect? White speakers. And then here I come in and they don't have my color palette. And so I have, um, I now bring my own makeup <laughs> to, to gigs. Uh, that's my coping mechanism. But if they do try to turn me to white, I will tell them, no, thank you. Um, keep my color. I want my color. And is this is my difference, but it's my superpower. But I want to say that being brown by itself is nothing. Visually, it's nice for a photo op. But for me, diversity is not a photo op. So the big question is, what is it about being brown or Indian that is different? And so I make sure to present a fresh, an alternative, and a new perspective to every conversation. So you asked me about diversity in emceeing, and I have now told you about diversity with speakers and even backstage. I'm bringing other elements to the question. And this is important. Don't just say, I'm female, therefore I deserve to be on stage, or I'm African, so I deserve to be on stage, or I am... I don't know, whatever uh, marginalized group you want to call LGBTQ. And so I need to be on stage, but find how that affects your perspective and how that perspective is actually valuable to the conversation. I am valuable to the conversation on stage beyond conversations on diversity. So uh, as an entrepreneur, and this is mostly I do tech events, I don't just talk about how hard it is for a brown person to build a business, but I talk about immigrants in general. Uh, of any color, of, of any race, uh, of any culture, what is that experience? Because people just assume entrepreneurs are local, but you know who are the most successful entrepreneurs? 
immigrant entrepreneurs over and over and over again, wherever you go, immigrant entrepreneurs. But most often, what do you see on stage? Local entrepreneurs. So what perspective do you get? Local entrepreneurs. So what can I bring? The immigrant entrepreneur perspective. Now, highly valuable. So turn whatever it is that you think is missing that you bring into your superpower, but make it more than the photo op. Make it about a unique and valuable perspective and opinion that needs to be at the event. You start doing that and you don't have to sell yourself. I promise you that events will come hunting you because they will realize how important that voice is and how it's totally missing from their space. Yeah. And then I think, I think it was your first TEDx talk. So I know you've done five. I watched your one at Trinity Dublin mm-hmm. um, and you're wearing a Sirvani and yeah, really yes. great story. I, I, beautiful Sirvani. I loved it. Um, and really, and then you had the quiet, I don't want to spoil it, but you had a quiet at the end and I won't spoil it. Um, but the conversation around that, around connectivity and culture and meaning and collaboration, I think came across so well. And I think that comes across in all of your work. Um, And so building on that, then diversity, you're absolutely right. I mean, diversity can just be numbers. That doesn't mean that people have an inclusive experience. And that doesn't mean that people are having um, a great time just because you have a a room full of different people. What does that really mean? How does that add value? So then building on that, how do you within your events, create safe and inclusive spaces where people feel they can participate? Oh, what a profound question. I love that. Such a good question. So first of all, thank you for pointing out the uh, attire that I wear, because that is something important, right? Uh, like I said, I am not hiding my difference. On the other hand, I, I am supercharging it. I am making it very visible. My accent gives me away. Most people mistakenly think I'm American or Canadian, but I am Indian. I still hold an Indian passport. So therefore, I put the clothes on. Now, I could probably get away with being American, but I am not doing that, because that voice is heard plenty. We have plenty of American voices on stage. So we don't need that one necessarily. There are true Americans who can represent the American voice. They don't need an Indian with an American accent to represent that voice. And so I wear the Indian clothes quite frequently as a example and sign of my Indian heritage. There are other things too that I will do on purpose. So I see myself more international than I do just as Indian because of my background, the son of an Indian diplomat. I grew up in 11 countries uh, now at this point uh, on four continents. And so I'll make sure to weave in stories from around the world when I'm on stage. So just just to get on that point that uh, diversity doesn't just have to be skin color and stuff. It can also be the clothes that you wear. It can also be the way that you wear. I wear red on stage. Why? Because corporate events are usually blue, gray, and black and yuck. That's boring. So I put red and I am allowed and I'm proud. So show up, show up in the colors, show up in your hair, show up in your makeup, show up in your nails, show up in any way you want to be you. Now about the safe spaces, I will say that there is something very attractive, very captivating about someone who is comfortable in your skin. I think making other people feel safe and comfortable starts with you feeling safe and comfortable, which is why I think being authentic and being yourself is so important. Layla, I am sure you've had moments where you felt you've had to dress up or act a certain way because of your audience. Usually when we're younger in our careers, we do that, thinking we got to fit in. And you know how not in your skin you feel. And in the day you say, you know what? Screw it. 
I'm going to do my hair the way I want to. I'm going to wear the outfit I do. And there's a different swag to your walk. There is a different way your hands move and your hips move and your neck moves. And it feels right. And not only does it feel right for you, but it feels right for everyone else. So I'd say creating a safe space for others starts with creating a safe space for yourself. Feel safe wherever you are. That's super important. But second, you know, as a speaker, I really believe that words are powerful. And I think communicating your heart, communicating your intentions is important. So I can ask hard-hitting questions too, but it's really important to know where it's coming from. Is it designed to tear people apart or is it designed for curiosity to really get to know somebody? Without communicating intention and motivation, it can be misread. And so I think it's really important to be uh, vocal and verbal about your desire to create a safe space. Um, and every so often, Layla, and, and I'm not, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna hide that it hasn't happened. But when people step out of line, you do have to call them out. But how you do it is important too. And so, for the few times that people have um, crossed the line, uh, I have found it very important for the sake of everyone and for their safe space to take them aside and say, "Hey, I feel an apology is needed because this is how." your actions were interpreted, interpreted, not just by me, but by others. You could feel in the air. So let's fix that. Uh, so I think it's just being really hyper aware, not just of yourself, but your environment around you and being an active member of that to ensure that all parts are working towards creating that safe space. Oh, oh yeah. can I just add real quick that music and humor are also great as far as going multiculture, multi-age, multi everything it's something very universal about it you know when you get people to clap along to a song that has a really sweet beat or when you can make people laugh it does something to room and makes people feel safe so there are practical things too this is not just hypothetical ideological ideas of a safe space there are actual things you can do in the space around how people sit around how you engage them around eye contact around words around humor and music and everything else that will make people feel safe yeah, thanks so much, Dan. And I also just wanted to pick up on your point about Indian identity, because we, if we think about India as a country, there is so much diversity within India. There are hundreds of languages, there are literally hundreds of languages spoken, yeah. uh, people with you know different religions. Um, we think of all the different foods available, and I don't even know the half of it. Um, so also when people say, you know, they're Indian, within India, I know there are lots of discussions around that. I think India is in a very interesting and difficult place politically as well so oh, yes. you, you know that's as an outside as a very much an outsider and things that i glean and i read uh but i think that's also really important and i know you know class and culture and wealth play into that in all countries and in india it is very pronounced um so that you're bringing your indian perspective and other people are going to have their indian perspectives and also we know as i am one big indian diaspora in the in, on the globe yes <laughs> That's true. That is true. India stands for a lot. And it's actually one of the things I love about India, right? That we have so many tastes and smells and colors and languages and ideas and thoughts and mindsets. I don't know. I, I, I personally am, I think the world, I think color is beautiful of, of all shades. And I like a world that does not look uniform, that does not chase being the same. But I realize the same thing scares other people. So while I'm maybe understanding, I certainly am not accepting of a viewpoint that we all turn to one. Um, I love that you have a different accent. So cool. 
And I hope you love having this accent on your podcast too. I think that's nice too, because in some ways we have similar heritage, but look how different we've turned out. We live in different countries with different ways of behaving and thinking. And I love that. I love that, you know? Yeah, brilliant. And so maybe there are people listening and uh, from all backgrounds, but uh, let's particularly focus on global majority black backgrounds because that's what we do on the podcast and they want to pursue a similar career as you and they think you know what I have done a couple of speaking gigs and I really want to do what Dan does um how can they do that because it feels quite a big thing to break into yeah do it do it we need you we need you a lot okay this was pointed out by Layla and she's 100% right she's not the first person to observe it but at least she's doing something about it by communicating but we need more diversity and it's not enough which by the way, there are a lot of Twitter hate about this, to find an, an event and then post in there saying, why is there no diversity? If you are that person that wants diversity, please present yourself. So first of all, I don't know how much more of an invitation you want, but show up and be at an event. At the very beginning, just be there, right? Get a feel for the space because they're not gonna bring an outsider on stage. They're gonna bring an insider who believes in events, who believes in those events, to promote them to being on stage. So show up, that's the first thing. Second thing, there's a bunch of technical aspects on how to build your speaking career. I am very happy to help you with that, whether it is coaching you to get to a TEDx talk or coaching you to get your first paid speaking gig. This is what I do because I believe in a multiplicity of voices on stage. I am not at all believing in a world of limited opportunities. I believe in an abundant world. So I don't care about competition or any of that stuff. I will celebrate you and promote you and accelerate you to the top. This is my joy. And I want to see you build a career. But yes, there are technical aspects, just like any career. There are things you need to know on how to present yourself, social media, social credibility, a bunch of things you need to have in your portfolio to present yourself as a speaker. Now, there are a few things you can get started with. I mean, Layla and I have both done some TEDx talks, and that certainly helps because that is a platform of quite a few platforms, and it does stand for something. So where you can, find a local chapter of Toastmasters and TEDx and some of these and pitch yourself, get in there. And then the other big thing is just do it. I mean, honestly, whether it is a school assembly, whether it is your office uh, meeting, whether it is a family wedding, These are all platforms. Do them all. Everything that I do on stage for the last five years that has, I think you would consider it a hyper exponential growth of a career from zero events on stage to now doing 125 uh, a year is because for the previous 15 years, 20 years, I voluntarily led games and gave talks at churches and youth groups for free all the time. And I just honed my skills and practice and practice. So please just get out there and you don't have to wait till you get to a slush or web summit or South by Southwest or a big conference. Just start where you're at. I mean, my phrase is start now, start simple. So literally next week, what is the platform? Are you heading up a Facebook group? Great. Why don't you pitch to do a virtual Zoom meeting and lead it and give a 20 minute talk at it? Why not? You're the head of the group anyway. So just start now, start simple with it. Um, But yes, essentially, this is one of those careers, like a lot of them, that you have to be moving in. It doesn't work to stand to the side and strategize. That is not how you become a speaker. Like you really just have to show up 
the more you speak, the more speaking gigs you get. It's a case of momentum. If you decide to set yourself out for seven months to make the perfect website and the social media, the perfect social media plan and the perfect network and that it just won't happen um, or an agency or anything else. On the other hand, you just do 20 gigs in a row and then you walk into a speaker bureau and go, that's weird. I've never spoken my life, but for the last two weeks, I did 20 gigs. They're going to pay attention. They're going to wonder what, what, why this is very cool. So please start now, start simple with whatever tools you have at whatever ability you're at start. You will learn along the way. And if you want to do it faster for some reason, or with less mistakes, then find a coach, find me, find someone else that can guide you in that path. Brilliant. And I love that because I think what you've picked up on there with Start Now is the community and cultural aspect. Uh, yeah, so there will be lots yes. of community opportunities. And I love the way you've linked to church groups, schools, weddings. You know, I know people have eulogies at funerals, for example, or all of those things, doing it genuinely and authentically and building that and not thinking, oh, my gosh, I've got to wait for, like you said, some big opportunity. And then I'm a speaker. It's thinking I'm a speaker, so I'm going to grasp all the opportunities. I love that. Thank you. Um, so, Dan, you're incredibly busy and you're always on the go. Um, and I can tell you're an extreme extrovert and I'm less of an extreme extrovert now uh, post-2020, but I hear a lot of what you're saying. So how do you look after your own mental health and would you like to share your top three tips? Yeah. Based on how you phrase that question, this answer is going to be a shock to you. You ready? The way I deal with my mental health and mindset is because I'm an introvert, not an extrovert. Wow. Okay. So you actually get your energy from recharging on your own? hundred percent. Okay. Now I know you can see behind me that I have a piano. I know your podcast people cannot see that, but one of my favorite activities is to sit by myself and play the piano by myself for an audience of only myself. It is how I recharge. I also have a whole stack of books that I like to read or pretend to read. I have a bunch of podcasts. I'll just go for a walk, walking nowhere, like literally nowhere, but I'm just listening to music or listening to a podcast. I love one-on-one -on -one conversations with people. And even though I have a career talking to 5,000 or 8,000 people at a time, I recharge by talking to one or two known faces, friends, people that we can have real talk with zero performance. I think it is a introvert's strength to actually know how to charge themselves. And I think extroverts often neglect the need to. In fact, extroverts need to as well, but they neglect it because they just haven't honed in that skill in a way that introverts do. So I actually am an introvert, but I'm in what you call an introverted extrovert. So my energy source is introverted, but I can be extroverted because I'm actually pretty good at dealing with my mental health and stuff. So essentially anything that I do by myself, one fun exercise, especially, I don't know when this podcast will go out, but whenever it does, take a... Uh, a, a couple hours and write out your recharging tactics for different time periods. So what that means is if you've only got five minutes between meetings and imagine you've had a really bad meeting that's put you in a really bad mood because of something went wrong and you got five minutes before the next one, what activities can you do that will recharge you in five minutes? Do something else for 30 minutes, do something else for 90 minutes, a half day and a weekend and write those out. I'm telling you now, it actually is probably the best gift you can give yourself in 2023 because that toolkit is so powerful. In a world that keeps telling you to do more, perform more, uh, be hyper-productive, hustle more, 
we have so many tools for that from project databases to calendars and everything else. And I'm signed up to all of them too. But what about charging? Most people don't know how to charge themselves. So five minutes can be as simple as a couple push-ups. Honestly, a little bit of physical movement, even for five minutes changes your mindset. Could be as simple as stepping outside to a different temperature. My room is really hot. Go outside to cold air and it completely changes. You feel it. You feel it in your core. You know, it could be something like make yourself a nice cup of coffee and just smelling it. Even if you don't have time to drink it, smell it. it these are just little triggers. Uh, if you've got a couple more minutes, sometimes I will watch a YouTube video of puppies or children laughing or, uh, I don't know, silly things that happen. It puts me in a good mood, but I know what those things are for different time periods. So it's not about having like one weekend where you recharge. I'm talking about daily constant checking in with yourself and then charging appropriately based on the time that you have. So if I can encourage you as you're listening to this, spend a few hours and write those things down. One, I think you will love yourself more because you will smile as you make this list and it'll be good for you to be intentional and aware of what brings you joy, what brings you rest, what brings you peace. But also you'll thank yourself because in the moment when you need it most, it's not the time to brainstorm about Oh, I would really, and you hear this too, Layla, I'm sure all the time, uh, I really need a massage. I really need a holiday. Great. That day is coming. But what about right now? Because right now all you're doing is complaining. But instead of this five minute rant, was there something that you could have done that put you in a good mood? Absolutely. So know what that thing is. And then if you still feel like complaining afterwards, you can complain afterwards, but start with doing something good for yourself. What's your recharge, Layla? Give us Give us two or three of your recharges. Yeah, that's really good. And, and when you're talking, so listeners, do check out the episode with Rapinda Kaur where she talks about making a long list because when her mental health is in a low place, exactly as you said, she has to, she looks at this list because it's not your right, it's not the chance to do that. Um, and, and and I just wanted to also mention Nicola Rollock. She creates a gold, silver and bronze well-being package for herself so she says when I've got time I do the gold when I don't and when I have got middling time I do the silver and then I do the bronze on a day-to-day basis um yeah so I I use my uh friend and colleagues and she's been on the episode around dancing and mental health her uh goddess path journaling which is really good in the morning with a cup of tea um I also make sure I go on walks so those are my recharging things and this year it's been interesting because I am actually an extreme extrovert I was an extreme extrovert now I just think I'm an extrovert minus uh, but it's just actually going to bed early and listening to an audiobook so that is a my but like a chill audiobook a very light fluffy audiobook stuff that you wouldn't necessarily read but it's great to listen to because it's it's you don't feel uh, as lethargic as when you watch tv but you're listening and you're getting the same fun vibes from it so yeah those are mine <laughs> those are good ones those are really really good ones yeah Oh, so Dan, thank you so much. And this has been brilliant. So this will come out in January. So to kick people, to bring people's energy up. And I think this is exactly what this episode has done. So if people want to know more about you and your work, I will, of course, include the links in the show notes. But how would you like them to contact you? Anywhere, anytime, I'm here for you. I started the podcast by saying that I like being number two and that extends on social media. The only thing you should not do is be shocked when you get a personal response back. So as much as I can, when you follow me, you'll get a little message saying, hey, thanks for following me because I pay attention. Um, and also any questions you have along the journey, I don't need to get paid for it. I just like to do good in this world. So please drop your questions. You want an introduction, you want a blog, a podcast, a video, um, just reach out and I'll link you to the resources that are available that I'm aware of. 
Also, I put out content every single day on my stories uh, on Instagram. I share behind the scenes of just daily life. It's literally just me, unedited, just unscripted, unedited content of my life as I travel the world and handle stress and anxiety and also great opportunities. But my team also create really great free content, just everything from how to negotiate to how to value yourself with clients to how to communicate more effectively, how to prepare and practice for speeches. We share all of that totally for free. So please, please, please do follow online. You can find me at I am Dan Ram. So Dan, D-A-N and Ram, R-A-M, or just Google Dan Ram and my information should pop up. Brilliant. Thank you so much, Dan, for your energy, your enthusiasm and your happiness. It's really lovely to have this conversation with you. And we really look forward to connecting with you. So, yeah, thank you so much. And Layla, thank you for doing what you do. It's a labor of love, isn't it? To organize all of this, to go through all those forms, to read all the bios and collect all the information. Now you got to do all the editing and you got to promote it all and make thumbnails. It's so much work. And even though your listeners may not have a voice to say thank you, given that I have a voice right now, I'm going to use this last moment to say thank you on behalf of your listeners and on behalf of me for putting in this effort to create this great content and to give something good to your community. So thank you so much for this. Oh, thank you, Dan. And listeners, yeah, remember to tune in next week and you can always get hold of me as well. And until then, take care and stay safe, everyone. Bye for now. Thanks for listening to the Diverse Minds podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you access your podcasts from. You can also connect with me on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Tune into next week's episode of the podcast, where I'll bring you more insights on mental health and inclusion. Bye for now.